Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Buvinghausen. Today is Tuesday, May 19th, 2020. This morning we held our weekly Bible study class. Now that uh, things are kind of getting back to normal uh, with this whole pandemic, we're still social distancing and things like that, but we wanted to add in Bible study. So this morning we continued on our Bible study. Uh, this morning at uh, 10 o'clock we met. Uh, it's usually the time we meet. So if you're in Fredericksburg and you um, would like to join us for Bible study sometime, we invite you to come. We practice social distancing and things like that. Our, our chairs are spaced out just so, and you can um, get a safe distance and uh, remember that, um, you know, you're going out to Walmart and uh, um, the grocery store uh, and different shops and things like that. You're going out to the restaurants and things. You can always come to church. It's very clean here. We make sure that it's clean and sanitary. Uh, but uh, we ask that you, if you're in town, you want to come join us, please do. Tuesdays at 10 o'clock. We are going through the book of Hebrews right now. Last week, we recapped things. And if you didn't listen last week, we asked that uh, you would join us. Uh, you, you would go back and listen to that uh, segment where I pretty much caught us up to... Uh, where we are now, to where we are now, and um, re reviewed things from Hebrews chapters one through to the beginning of chapter six. Uh, this week we move on from uh, chapter six verses three to uh, all the way through verse twelve, and we kind of cover on some really interesting ground here. One of the more controversial parts of the book of Hebrews in talking about repentance and redemption for those who have fallen away from the faith and things like that. So um, it's an interesting discussion. We had some good comments and feedback from the people who had joined us today and uh, got into some really good things. So we hope that you are blessed by this, that you enjoy these things. Um, and we look forward to continuing on next week, which will uh, continue on in the book of Hebrews. But for now, here is our study from this morning on Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 12. We're recording now. We'll, whoever trickles in, they'll trickle in. Let's begin with a word of prayer. So, so the Lord be with you. Let us pray. O Lord, keep your church in your perpetual mercy. And because without you we cannot but fall, preserve us from all things hurtful and lead us to all things profitable to our salvation. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Okay. So, where did we leave off last time? We started getting into chapter 6 of the book of Hebrews, right? Um, and what did we cover last time, uh, the end of chapter 5, leading into chapter 6 here? What sort of topics, what sort of issues? What's that? Warning apostasy. Yeah. So yeah, a warning to not fall away. 
but not forsake the good things which you have been given in the Lord. Uh, let's just read the last bit here. I'll, I'll, I'll read for the sake of the microphone here. Um, that we'll, we'll begin at fi- uh, five, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, leading into uh, the third verse of chapter 6. So, uh, about this we have much to say, which is um, Jesus being the high priest, right? Uh, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this you ought to be te- for although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the is is for the excuse me, is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to, to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the instruct the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So, um, a few little points before we get into uh, more of chapter six here, just as a recap um, and some points to keep in mind that um, the goal of instruction at least instruction when it comes to faith. The goal of instruction um, is practical, mental, and spiritual formation, the acquisition of a receptive disposition, right, that we receive all things from God, all good things, Uh, a steady state of mind that uses its senses, quote-unquote, of perception to distinguish what is good from what is bad. So that's a lot encapsulated Right. Um, But that's the goal of instruction, that it's a holistic, if you will. It's practical, it's mental, it's spiritual. It it engages our entire being, that it's not just about knowledge, but it is about the application of the word of God within our own lives. Um, So that's the goal of instruction. It's, It's practical, mental and spiritual formation. There's a receptive, a receptive disposition, right? And then there's distinguishing what is good from what is bad. And um, about that receptive disposition, so nourishment with the word, and if you're taking notes here, these are good things to take in mind. I'm just going to go through these really quick, and if you all have any questions about them after, after I get through getting into it, we can tackle that. But just real quick, nourishment with the word of God produces three things. It produces a receptive disposition, right? It produces this disposition to say that um, we, we don't produce anything on our own, but we, but we get everything from God who is the giver of all good things, right? Uh, the second thing that nourishment with the word produces 
um, is the training by God of our senses. He trains our senses um, so that we can perceive what is right and um, what is presented and what we hear and see and taste and touch by our involvement in things like the divine service, right? That um, nourishment with the word produces this understanding, this new sense of understanding that when we come to the altar, we receive the very body and blood of Christ, right? Um, the third thing um, that nourishment with the word produces is that uh, those who are being nourished can distinguish between good and bad, right? That um, since we have our senses trained by God with his word of righteousness, we can distinguish between what is good and what is bad. Um, the, and Dr. Kleinig puts in his commentary, the organs of spiritual, of spiritual perception are sharpened and, and uh, excuse me, and, and refined. So we're able to hear certain things out in the world. We're able, to, we're able to hear certain things in church even and hear it and say, yes, I can say amen to that. Or say, mm, something sounds a little off about that. I don't know what's going on. Maybe I should inquire more about what's being said, right? So our, the more we are nourished by God's word, the more we're able to discern these things. Um, now, what this is, there's, there's kind of a lot here, okay? So I'm going to just uh, go through this real quick. That going on into chapter 6, the first two verses here, um, there's this understanding of what we as students of the word, because we never stop learning, right? That's, that's why hopefully y'all are at Bible study today. Y'all never stop learning. There's not, you can't know too much. You can't understand too much about God's word and God's will for your life, right? It's, his will is unfathomable, uh, but we desire by the power of the Holy Spirit to learn and to grow more and more in that discernment. So we're able to go out into the world and though we see chaos and confusion and pain and suffering, we still hold on to the comfort that was given to us by God's word, right? So what we as students, because we're perpetual students here, what we as students need to do is first move on from uh, and build on our foundational instruction. It's not that we're leaving our foundational instruction, our catechesis, as it were, the basic understandings of who God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God's work of, uh, God's work of righteousness done through Christ, the judgment that comes for those who don't believe. We don't, we don't leave all that stuff behind and move on to new and greater things. We build upon them with those as the foundation, right? That's the first thing we do. Second, it's something we don't do. It's very passive. We are carried by God, carried on in our, in our, excuse me. We are carried on in our learning, all right? Um, that at some point, um, <laughs> We, we are, if you will, y'all drove yourselves here today, right? But hopefully, and I, I, I would 
I can't say this for sure, but I would assume that you were carried here by the power of the Holy Spirit, desiring to know more, desiring to grow deeper in your faith and the understanding that's produced by the Holy Spirit in engaging with God's word. So you were carried here today. And hopefully, as we go on, you will be carried on in, in the understanding that God desires for you to have. And that's the other thing, is that um, the third thing that we as students must do is that, and this is kind of something we have to wrap our minds around a little bit, with God carrying us forward as, um, as our teacher... Uh, we will not have to lay the foundation for discipleship once again by the repetition of the elementary catechesis we have already been given. Okay? So in carrying on, we don't have to relay the foundation. The, the foundation is laid. I mean, how would that look if you were trying to build a house and once the concrete slab was poured, then you said, well... Foundation needs to be redone or we need to build on top of this foundation again and you just keep building slab after slab after slab after slab and there's no walls, there's no roof, there's no house. Right? You just keep building on and building, it, you just keep adding to this thing. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? So once the foundation is laid, it's not that we move on from it, but it's reinforced, right? We reinforce the foundation we have been given. Um, and he lays this out here, the writer of Hebrews lays this out, uh, with six different building blocks, okay? Um, the foundation consists of six building blocks, and you can see them laid out here. Um, the teaching of, uh, the first building block is the teaching of repentance, right? Um, so he says, not laying again the foundation of Repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. So that's the first one. The second one is the, is, um, the uh, teaching of the faith, of faith in God, right? Um, the instruction about washings and the word here in the Greek is, now you can tell me what this sounds like. The word for washings here is baptizone. What does that sound like? Oh, baptism. Yeah, the washings, especially baptism. So we build upon these understandings, right? Uh, the washings, the laying on of hands. And um, this is attributed to baptism where the Holy Spirit is, you know, that's, the, that's typically what the laying on of hands would mean is the, the conference of the Holy Spirit, not by the power of the individual doing it like a bishop or something, but by the um, command and word of God for these things to take place. So the laying on of hands of the one who is baptized to receive the Holy Spirit. Um, the fifth block is the teaching of the resurrection from the dead, um, which was accomplished by Jesus um, in his glorious resurrection and his promise to us on the last day. Right? And the sixth and final block is um, the teaching of God's eternal judgment, the judgment in which God passes judgment on sinners, repays those who reject his son, and vindicates those who are sanctified by the blood of Christ. Okay. So it's a lot of stuff to keep, in, to keep in mind, right? But those are foundational building blocks. Um, now, 
me see here. This, this is another thing, and this is key to all this understanding here, because if we stop there, we would think that this is only about our knowledge, right? Oh, I got this stuff down. Now I'm ready to move on and do the work that needs to be done after this. But verse 3 gives us a very key understanding here, right? Verse 3 says, and this we will do if God permits, right? That since um, we rely on God as our teacher to reach that goal of understanding, we acknowledge that this will happen only if God permits. Uh, God alone can grant it to those who have become um, inattentive of, uh, to him. And the whole congregation depends on God to carry them along in their educational journey to the completion of their spiritual formation. Okay? So, again, we have to walk this fine and interesting line of it not being about what we do uh, so much as it is about what God does. Uh, that it is God's will for us to grow in the faith, and God is the one who is bringing about the growth. Yet he is calling us to be diligent on our end, in some ways, to, to not reject the power of the Holy Spirit and rejecting saying, no, I've learned enough. No, I don't need to go to Bible study. No, eh, you know, church is uh, nice. I like the people there, but um, I'd rather go fishing. So that's, there's this interesting balance there about uh, our, our um, justification by faith and are being sanctified, are being made holy by the Holy Spirit, and in some ways our cooperation with that Holy Spirit by simply just not rejecting the Holy Spirit, moving us to learn more, to grow more, to um, not to harden our hearts against God's Word. Okay? So, that was pretty, that was pretty brief by my standards, um, getting through these things. Okay? Any questions about... Uh, this last bit of chapter 5 going into the first part of chapter 6. I know I threw a lot at you, but if you do have any questions, let me know. Um, it almost sounds like the Apostles' Creed. Hmm. That's interesting. What, what, what makes you say that, Paul? to judge the living and the dead. The Nicene Creed, I believe in one baptism for the remission of sins, right? The washings. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I actually didn't see that. That's... Oh, he said it sounds like the Apostles' Creed. <clears throat> yeah, it sounds, and, and you could even say the Nicene Creed, too. It's, it's definitely a creedal statement of the foundational aspects of what we believe, right? In some ways, I... When I, when I taught junior high kids, and, and you know, there was the emphasis on evangelism, most people just say, I don't even know where to start. How do I begin to talk about what I believe? And it's like, well, what do you say on Sundays? And that, of course, if it's that broad, like, well, we say a lot of things on Sundays. Like, well, okay, what do we say about what we believe on Sundays? And like, oh, the Apostles' Creed. Yeah, you can start there. I mean, it begins with creation. God the Father has created us. God the Son 
has saved us from our sins, and God the Holy Spirit carries us and uh, sanctifies us in the one true faith, right? That they're all working together for our, like, for our salvation, for the continuation in our salvation. So if you want to talk to somebody about your faith, you don't have to quote verbatim the Apostles' Creed, but you can use that as a nice structure. It's a great way to start. Um, so that's, that's a very good point, Paul. Um, anybody else real quick before we move on? Because this is going to be a heavy section, <laughs> as you can probably see from verse 4 in chapter 6 here. Um, and we're going to spend the bulk of our time on this, I think, because it's kind of a touchy subject. But if there are no questions, comments about what we just went through. All right. Y'all want to get into the meat and, meat and potatoes of this, don't you? All right. So Hebrews chapter six. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Verses four through 12. Let's see if we can get through, chapter, through, through verse 12 here. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll do the best we can. Okay. Uh, chapter 6, verse 4 says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those for, uh, to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and, it, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving, in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but, it, but, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Okay, I didn't stop at verse, uh, I didn't stop at verse 8, because you need to hear the whole thing in context, okay? Um, now, <laughs> verses 4 through 6, this is where it gets, it, it gets pretty heavy, right? Um, first off, let's get this out of the way. What does it sound like it's saying? What does it sound like the writer of Hebrews is trying to say just on the very surface of it all? Yeah, That's, does that sound warm and fuzzy? It sounds pretty harsh, right? But look at the Right. Well, also look at the ones that, uh, look at the church of Galatia that Paul was writing to the Galatians for. Uh, they were, and this is 
a similar kind of letter to a Jewish community, right? That he's warning them. Once you have tasted of these wonderful things of God, including the body and blood of Christ from the altar, don't fall away. Don't deliberately turn your back on what you've been given, okay? Um, but it sounds on the surface right here that you, 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 that you get one shot. And if you fall away, you're done. God has no more mercy for you. His, his tank is empty. That's what it sounds like, right? Um, and that's why this, this passage has been used in certain ways that is very legalistic. Uh, all throughout church history, it's been used in ways uh, that um, is not what you would say pastoral, but very harsh, uh, especially during some persecutions, sometimes where uh, the Roman Empire would persecute the church and people would fall away to save themselves or to save from being harmed or killed. And then once Christianity was an accepted faith, it was legalized, like it just wouldn't be persecuted anymore. The question was, what do we do with these people who turn their backs on their brothers and sisters and ratted out, as it were, the different communities of faith, the different churches that were in people's homes, so that the Roman authorities would go and seize uh, the things like the communion ware, the Bibles, the scriptures that they would have, and they would burn them and melt them down, and they would kill the bishops. They would kill the pastors so that they couldn't celebrate the sacrament. What do you do with somebody who turns their back on the people of faith deliberately for one reason or another? And that was a serious question, and it's still a serious question today. Can those people be restored? And the answer is repentance. yes. <laughs> the answer is repentance. So what is, what is the writer of Hebrews talking about here? What do y'all think? What, Pastor Cluck, what do you think about this? I don't think that we are able to grasp what's being talked about here because when Jeannie was going to nursing school, she was called a probing. Mm -hmm. And when I was going to boarding school, we had a thing called being put on probation. Probation, yeah. That meant Yeah. 
Right. He remained in his unbelief. Yeah. Exactly what it means. You will never, never again hear, understand, or speak the truth. It's out. And yeah. That's, and that's and that's what the world is dealing with today. We have right. we've had what we call revivals. Uh, in America, we've had revivals, world revivals, and that's what people are talking about right now, just to make it to make it relevant to what we're doing sure. in life today. Yeah. People are saying with coronavirus, I know it was a Chinese invention <laughs> and whatnot, but it is something that God is using. Like yeah. he used Nineveh or like he used Jonah, like yeah. he used Sodom and Gomorrah, or like he used Abraham and Lot in that case, or the way he used Judas in his case. Yeah. That now, now, Yeah, you're right. There's. Let's make this as simple as we possibly can, because I think you were right when you first said we can't, we can't fully understand exactly what is being told of here, because we're getting into the mind of God right now. But the thing is, there's some understanding we have to know about this passage. That, and Dr. Kleinig in his commentary brings this out very well, and kind of makes makes me. Made, made me think a little bit harder about this because, uh, you know, it requires it. That in the Greek, there's this sort of ambiguity about whether or not there are two possibilities. That a man can restore another man in the faith, which is impossible, right? Or there's the possibility of God restoring that person. And if it says that it's impossible, we should do our due diligence, our due diligence to say, what makes this impossible for God to restore this person. And what makes it impossible is that it's talking about not someone who has um, sinned and then repented or felt contrition and sorrow for that sin. It's someone who deliberately says, I can be saved by a different means other than Christ. It's someone who deliberately falls away like Judas. It's someone who deliberately falls away and says, um, and says that uh, salvation is not through Christ alone, and I'm making that my public confession. And when you say these things, then it is impossible, not because God is not willing or capable, it's that he hasn't provided another way for you to be saved other than through Jesus Christ. Does that make some sense there, Pastor Cluck? I just I want to emphasize what you said at the beginning. It's in the mind of God. Right. And two thieves on the cross, and Judas and Peter mm -hmm. are the illustrations for it. Mm -hmm. I'll just illustrate Peter and Judas. They were both warned what they were going to do. Right. Going to deny him. Judas was going to betray him. Yeah. Judas got his last word of truth when he said friend in the garden. After that, he became reprobate because he, when he went back and looked for forgiveness, he never heard the truth that Jesus forgives all sins. Right. Because he went to the wrong source. Right. He never heard That's it. right. But he never heard it. That's right. The point is, he never heard it. Peter did hear it because, and Jesus didn't spend a lot of time 
reversing all the things he denied when you said three times, do you love me? Right. Because you said three times, I don't know him. But we also have to understand this, that, that when we think of the Holy Spirit being the comforter and the paraclete, the helper, right, the advocate for us, that the Holy Spirit wasn't just given at Pentecost, but the Holy Spirit, to a, to a sense, was with the apostles after Christ died. Otherwise, why weren't they scattered about? Why were they gathered in the, the upper room, possibly praying and being gathered together, when they really had no, no real reason, from what they could see, logically, to hope anymore? Something was still gathering them together. Something that Peter had heard and was brought to mind, possibly, by the Holy Spirit which was the word of Christ saying, you will deny, deny me three times before the rooster crows, right? That, that was brought to his mind and he felt proper contrition and he went to the source again, whereas Judas was trying to justify himself by returning the 30 pieces of silver to the Pharisees, thinking that was what was going to justify him and not the blood of Christ that was shed for him. Right? So it's looking for, it's deliberately looking for salvation in ways that are outside of Christ. Let's keep that in mind. Okay? That is, that is the key to understanding this text because we know from Scripture that it is the will of God that all men should be saved and come to the knowledge of salvation through Christ, right? But the thing is, when we hear things like impossible, we start to say, ooh, whoa, hang on, it's. Is scripture contradicting itself? No. It's, it's, it's clarifying something and making, it's bringing out the grave seriousness of apostasy, of deliberately rejecting salvation in Christ, that we as Lutherans understand that the doctrine, the teaching by which the church stands or falls is what? Y'all know your confessions? It's the teaching of justification by faith, through, by faith in Christ. But... Justification by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the doctrine by which the church stands or falls. If you don't get justification right, then you, can, then you can't understand sanctification. You can't understand everything else. You have to understand by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ has shed his blood. The perfect Lamb of God has died for you and, and forgiven you of all your sins so that now you are a new creation and that you uh, are a child of God. And you have been fully and completely, um, you have been fully and completely redeemed by the blood of Christ. And when you hear, when you fall away deliberately by saying, this is all just ridiculous, this is all just, you know, fairy tales and hocus pocus, this is something that's good for children, you know, to teach them good moral lessons, but. I'm an adult now, and I know better. When you start to do these things, you are in that category by you are, you're now an unbeliever. You've shunned the things of God. And now God has said, it is impossible for you to come back by any other way. You need to repent, right? And that's the only way to come that's the only way to be brought back into the fold is by realizing what you have rejected and that the only way is through Christ. Yes, August. One of the commentaries I was reading talked about what was going on in the Jewish uh, area at that time. Yeah. Many were following Christ when the 
over time, they begin to revert back to their old Jewish custom. Right. And this is what he's talking about here, is that, hey, if you fall back into that and stay with that concept, you're blessing. Yeah. It's not forgiven. So right. therefore, there is no return. Right. As long as you stay in that vein, yeah. So did everybody hear that? So he was saying that this, that some other commentaries that he read, it, it, it was in response to these, uh, et, these culturally and and ethnically Jewish people that have that have been raised on the uh, traditions of Judaism and the temple and the law, the Torah, the Pharisaical. Um, rabbinical Judaism that was at that time, that they had believed in Christ, that he was the Messiah, that he came and he died for us, but then it was a situation like what happened with Galatians, that they were Judaizers who said, you need Jesus and the law in order to be saved, as opposed to only needing Jesus as the Christ, as the, as the perfect sacrifice, and then, you know, the law is is fulfilled in Christ and now we joyfully fulfill the law because we are because it has been fulfilled in Christ you know that sort of understanding um, and I think that's that's on point for sure with this because you do see that at the beginning of chapter 6 he says let's not relay a foundation of repentance from dead works um, and of faith toward God of instructions about washings right um, laying on of hands, because all these things, to some degree or another, were in effect with the Judaism of the day, but had a different emphasis of um, fulfilling the law. But now these things have been reoriented into understanding that all of these things have been fulfilled in Christ, and that now um, fulfilling the law is a matter of joy. Because the law has been fulfilled in Christ, and now we joyfully serve our neighbor. Um, we, we, we joyfully engage in what God has given us to do, right? Because it's no longer a matter of get it perfectly right or else you're damned. Now it, is, it has been fulfilled, and now you can work joyfully knowing that Christ does his work through you, right? Um, that's a very good point. Good point. And... Um, we see here that it is, you know, that um, those who revert, you know, and this is also for the new believers at the time who were probably getting engaged with this community who were at one time, at, at one time pagans, right? That if they feel the pressures of the culture to say, you know, um, the tug of their family who may not be Christians, to say you've forsaken your family and everything that was given to you and now you believe in Christ? What is, what is this? You know, come back and, or else you're disowned, that sort of thing. Those sorts of pressures. Um, and uh, denunciation of Christ through persecution, through wanting to save your own body, you know, not heeding the words of Christ saying, do not fear the one who can destroy your body, but Fear the one who can cast your body and your soul into hell, right? Fear God because he is the one who has power over all things. Um, if you don't heed those things or you go back to pagan idolatry, then he's 
making the point here that doing these things, deliberately saying and, re and rejecting Christ, is equivalent to continually crucifying Jesus. Right? Um, now, this is very strong language for a good point. He's driving home the point to these people that apostasy is no joke. It's not a light matter. There is repentance, uh, and there is forgiveness, but for those who completely reject that, that understanding, um, their hope is only with God, that someday, by God's grace, they might be brought back, right? So this is kind of heavy. So anybody have any questions or thoughts about this? Yeah. The Holy Spirit is always and still is active, and He leads us. But the power of the Holy Spirit is given to the church. Okay. So, what is the church, though, by our understanding? Did anybody hear that, though? Did anybody hear that? That He was saying that the, the there's the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has been given to the church, right? So, specifically for what purpose? And. How do you define church? Church is the gathering of believers and studying His Word and letting the Holy Spirit work through the Word to sustain us in our faith and to guarantee us salvation. Right. So that is something that I think is very pertinent for today is that you see all these signs and these things online saying, church is not a building. And, you know, we say that's true, but what is church? And like you said, it is the, the, ch the church is the gathering of the body of Christ. Um, and it is, you know, I, I would tweak what you said about letting the Holy Spirit do his work. But like, I would say, let's not hinder the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's not reject what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. Let's not... Um, Deliberately, uh, deliberately hold back what the Holy Spirit is doing, right? That, um, that I don't know. It's it's kind of walking this fine line of like, how active are we in all this, and how active is the Holy Spirit? I know that Lutherans rightfully get a little nervous when they start hearing things about you know cooperation with the Holy Spirit or. Um, these understandings of, of actively doing things because we don't want to get into the mindset of this synergistic understanding of salvation that we do something in cooperation in order to be saved, right? Do you all understand what I mean by that? That, um, that in, we, 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 we don't want to get into the Roman Catholic understanding that God has set us on the right path, but now it's now the rest is left up to us, right? But we have to understand that we are continually uh, sanctified only by the power of God, not because of what we have done, but by, but by what Christ has done. Another concept that's pointed out to me is here in Romans and John, it talks about that nobody or thing can snatch you away from God. What? I yeah, that, that's something that my grandmother used to say, and, and I don't think I can top it, uh, is that she said, you know, 
you're in, you're in God's hand, right? And he's, and he's going to hold on to you tightly and nothing can snatch you away, but you can jump out. Right? I thought, that's, that's a pretty good way to put it, you know? Um, the, only thing, the only power we have in and of ourselves is to reject and deny what God has done, right? That's the only power that we really have. Um, but now we have to understand also that uh, being new creatures in Christ, we now have, uh, we, we, we have been given the power to actually please God um, and act because he delights in us, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done. That when he looks at us and he sees the things that we are doing, whether it's like we saw, like, like we heard this Sunday from James, that true religion that is pleasing to God is to visit the orphans and the widows and to remain unstained from the world. That we can do these things, but when we do them, understanding that Christ is the one living within us and acting through us, that though imperfect our actions may be, they are pleasing to God because He doesn't see us poor sinners doing them. He sees His own beloved Son doing them. Um, and that's what makes them just and righteous. That makes sense? That we do all that we can do, that we do all that we have been called to do in serving our neighbors and loving them as ourselves, right? That is the law. But when we do these things, in faith toward Christ, understanding that He is the one who acts through us, that the Holy Spirit is guiding us to do these things, that though imperfect and fallen they may be, God's will is still done, and it is still found acceptable, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done and is doing through us. Make sense? I didn't think we'd get onto the topic of sanctification right now, but that's, that's, that's a pretty good understanding of it. And leads into it from this text, right? So that makes, does that make more sense, this, this section here about the impossibility of people being able to be brought back because there's no other way to be saved other than Christ? Okay? And then you got to wonder, why is he saying this to this crowd of people? Is it because they have fallen away? Or is it because... He's just warning them not to, he's, he's warning them about this, the, the danger, the grave seriousness of, of what it means to reject Christ. And I think it's the latter, right? Because he goes on here um, and he says, you know, um, though we speak in this way, this is verse 9, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, which is kind of interesting because this is the only place that the writer of Hebrews calls his audience the beloved. Right? Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith 
and patience inherit the promises. Okay? Um, so, this is, this is talking about... Um, let's see here. This is talking about... He's, he's warning them because he's not... He's admiring them for what has been done through them so far. Right? And he's warning them, saying, you know, be, be the land that has... The land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those for whose sake it is cultivated and receives a blessing from God. Right? Be that crop. Be that fruit. Or be that vine. That branch, I should say. Right? Because who is the vine? Who said, I am the vine? Jesus. Jesus, right? And we, and apart from him... We can do nothing. That's right. Um, and again, we, this is why it, we, we can easily get into the area of sanctification and what it means to bear good fruit. Um, what do we as Lutherans understand about bearing good fruit? What do we mean when we say bearing fruit? What does that mean? Yeah, following Jesus, living our lives um, with Christ as our example for sure. Uh, but what, is, what, is, what does that look like? What does it look like to bear fruit as Jesus tells us to bear fruit? And as uh, St. John the Baptist tells us to bear fruit. What does he say about that? Bear fruit in keeping with what? Y'all remember? Anybody know? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, right? That fruit, uh, that that um, you know, this 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 understanding of godliness and of sanctification um, begins with the understanding that apart from Christ we can do nothing begins with the understanding that our own works are as filthy rags before God, but that they are sanctified, they are made holy by God through the power of Christ. Right? That um, uh, we, we can do nothing apart from Him. Right? So, uh, what does this have to do? Let's go back a little bit, reflect a little bit. What does this have to do with the end of chapter 5, right? The end of chapter 5, talking about the basic principles of the oracles of God. What does this have to do with that? How does that, how does not being, uh, how does moving on from the foundations from which we have gained in our basic instruction as believers lead into this understanding of bearing fruit? What do y'all think? Now you know not to do it. Right, now you know not to do it. Now you know what you should and shouldn't do. Um, it's not something you need to revisit. That's, that's certainly part of it, you know. And, and how do we understand this, at least from our uh, um, gift of... Um, 
the compilation of the small catechism. What is that encapsulated in? Knowing what to do and what not to do. The very beginning of the small catechism. Yeah, the Ten Commandments, right? We understand, you know, that it all begins with um, fearing, loving, and trusting God above all things, and everything flows from there. That idolatry is the heart and soul, is the root of all sinfulness, unbelief, things like that. But like we said a while ago, the verses, you get it, yeah, and when you. Yeah, and when you reject these things, you are in danger of being like the, uh, the ground that receives the water, that receives the blessings of the Word of God, that receives, and when he talks about drinking, Dr. Kleinig makes a point here that a lot of drinking that is talked about in the New Testament comes from the eating and drinking of what? Supper. Holy Communion. Yeah, that when you receive these things, don't be like, don't harden your hearts and be like the ground that bears thorns and thistles, the bad fruit, because then it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Right? Don't, don't receive these things in vain, but believe in what God has said about them. They are for your benefit of salvation. Yes, Pastor Cluck. Yes, God. Incorporated when you become a living stone in the living temple of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets of Jesus Christ Himself. And the building is a spiritual building, but it is the place where everybody can see it's the house of God, or you're incorporated in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. you're, you're a member of it, and you know it's one of those loving things, bodies that was always helping somebody. It's Jesus. It's the same thing as having Jesus in front of you, and he's the head of it. Uh, but you're just uh, uh, one of the fingers or one of the molecules or one of the cells, right. but you're part of that body, and it's, we, that's what bearing fruit is. It's Luther said, let's quit being monks and nuns and think that we can be polished apples and somebody can hang us on a tree and we will have a good fruitful apple tree. He says, no, the way God does it, he makes us a part of the tree. Right. And then we are just what oozes out of it in the form of flowers and when butterflies <laughs> and stuff comes in, and then we're not shining apples on that tree or we're one of the hands or feet or what. Right. The body of Christ, or we're one of the uh, pieces of stone in what is a shining city built on a hill that everybody can see is the house of God, the temple of God, your body or the temple. Part of it, not the whole thing. Yeah. Think of how you are incorporated. Right. Not, not like Jerry Kishnick when he wanted to. <laughs> get some land out of San Francisco when he was asked uh, what is the way that your church operates and he held up the articles of incorporation he didn't hold up the Bible mm. unfortunately okay. no comment on that one uh, but <laughs> we are not General Motors right. we are the church of 
Christ. That is true. It's a difference. It's a big difference. That is true. And, and, and you know, the, the, it's interesting that you say, you know, that, that um, being living stones built upon the foundation of the apostles, going off of and growing from the cornerstone of Christ, that being this living house of God, this body of Christ, with Christ as our head, being the finger, the toe, the, the molecule of the part of the body that's doing its essential work. You talk about essential or non-essential, that's, that's an interesting discussion there. But understanding these things in their proper order is essential. Um, so yeah, I, I don't really have much to add to that. But we're running a little out of time. I, I, I will say this, um, just as a point of order and one last little cap, on all of this, um, and it might fill the rest of the time, we'll see. But um, here in this last part of, of, of our section here, um, verses 9, you know, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12, when he says, um, so that you, verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He is bringing to mind, who do you think he's bringing to mind here? I mean, we're, we're going to see more of this in chapter, chapters 11 and 12, right? Um, where, what do we see in Hebrews chapter 12 that's, that's probably the most cited part of this whole book? Um, it's the great cloud of witnesses, right? The spiritual predecessors who came before our father Abraham, right? Um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel, David, King, King David, excuse me, <laughs> King David, um, Solomon to a certain extent, for sure, his wisdom, um, you know, the, the prophets, the apostles, all the ones that have been spiritual predecessors to us that we would that, that we would that we would emulate their faith and their patience, right? Uh, their long suffering, their long mindedness, the long term perspective that looks beyond what is here and now to what will be fully enjoyed only at the end, right? These things keep us persevering on and continuing on, saying. Yes, we have trials, and yes, we have crosses in this life to bear, but, and that's, you know, if you want to talk about spiritual prosperity, uh, don't look to people like Joel Osteen and Max Licato or any of these other guys um, to have the understanding of spiritual prosperity. Look to someone like the Apostle Paul. And when they said, you know, how, how can you show us your credentials, as it were, as an apostle, he showed his scars. He talked about the beatings and he talked about the persecutions that he suffered for the sake of Christ. Not to boast of himself, but to boast of the work that, that, that was being done through him by God. Right? He talked about his hardships and the things that God has brought him through. Um, the patience that he showed imperfectly, but by the power of God. Um, and then four things, I'll leave you with this. There are four things vital, as we see here, 
that are vital for our progress in, in maturity in our faith. Um, our common love for one another as saints, our common hope for the inheritance that's been promised to us, our common faith in God's promises, and our common patience as we travel together in faith, hope, and love. Okay? Keep these things in mind uh, for next week. Um, any, any questions about this? We'll, we'll review this a little bit more before we move on because you've got to look at these things within context. Uh, the three rules, I, I stole this from another pastor, but it's worth stealing. Um, I'm borrowing, I guess you could say. I'm, I'm uh, um, equipping it. That um, there are three rules for good, sound, biblical exegesis. You ready? I think I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Context, context, context. You got to keep it all in context and the proper perspective. You can't cherry pick things and have a buffet Bible saying, you know, well, this sounds like this, and I'm going to use it how I want to use it. So we will look at the context. Again, we'll review it, and we'll go through it um, before we move on next time. Um, any, any final uh, questions? Wow, we are just getting right under the wire. This is fantastic. Any, any last observations, comments, questions for today? Anything you haven't thought about before? Things that, that are... Um, that have been brought to mind that you haven't really thought about before. No? Y'all knew all this already? What are y'all doing here? Mm -hmm. My goodness. We're right. just letting it soak in. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, next time, if you do have some sort of question that pops up in your mind throughout the week and you want to bring it, and we'll start next week with some questions about this because there's a lot here, right? Um, it's not something that's so easy to get through. We could spend several days on it. And I know in the past we have. We've, we've looked at like only four verses and stayed on them the whole time. But um, we're doing our best to keep going. Um, so if there are no questions right now, I'll give you a whole week to think of some for next time. If you have no questions or uh, comments right now, we'll save them for next time and we'll close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever.